Paradise in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 4, Episode 2, starring Fred Willard, originally aired on October 14th, 1978. Hello, welcome back to SN Hell, or welcome to SN Hell if you're a first-time wanderer. My name is Keith, with me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, good evening. How are you today? Feeling good. Uh, always like hearing that theme song play. You know, hear Christine's voice, and you know, before we come on, I play it really loud on my Bluetooth speaker and be like, "Okay, I'm on," and then I jump in. Pump the us up. <laughs> with us tonight is Chili. Hello, Chili. How are things? Hey guys, glad you're back with us, Chili, for your first look at season four. So there was a little bit of bad news a little earlier today. One of our favorite hosts thus far, uh, Norman Lear from season one, or sorry, season two, passed away at the age of 101. Really enjoyed that Norman Lear episode. 101? 101, still working. What a run, man. I'm not yeah. seeing 101. You aren't either, buddy. Sorry. But uh, <laughs> neither of us. Never stopped, really. He was involved with certainly All in the Family, uh, the Jeffersons, Good Times, Maud. For us uh, South Park fans, he contributed the Talking Taco. He was a consultant for a couple of episodes there. Thought he did a fantastic job as a host and, and sad to hear he passed, but certainly a long, productive, and very influential life. Yeah, hell of a lot of... Uh, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> for some people it is, and yeah... <laughs> He still had a bit in the tank, I think. Yeah, what a, what a great roster of shows, though. Like, just incredible class. I could put on any one of those shows and watch them for two and a half hours straight and just be fine. Yeah, yeah, revolutionized television. Our musical guest tonight is Devo, and we'll talk about Devo when we get there. Uh, are, just briefly, are either of you guys Devo fans? Yes. No. And I'm kind of. This is good. Our host tonight, of course, the incomparable Fred Willard. I know, Chili, you're a huge Fred Willard fan. I believe you are as well, Matt. Yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know a lot, but uh, everything I know, I really enjoy. Yeah, but. I'm always delighted. He's one of those guys I'm delighted to see in anything. Like, I've seen him pop up in shows I don't like. He's typically the best thing on everything he's in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Fred Willard tells the story of uh, how he got on the show. He said he, he saw the first episode and loved it and thought it was going to be a big thing. He said he knew John Belushi and happened to bump into him at the improv and uh, took him around, uh, introducing him to other comics and other uh, comedic actors and was really pushing the show on them, which he thought Belushi really enjoyed. Fast forward a few years later, uh, according to F Fred Willard, Muhammad Ali was scheduled to host this episode but dropped out. Fred said it was most likely Belushi who pulled the strings to get him this uh, to get him this gig. He said everyone worked really, really hard. None of the writers could write the monologue for Fred Willard, so they just left him alone and he came up with his own thing. He was warned that standards and practices might have an issue with what he was doing, but he uh, he went and did it anyway, and there was uh, no issues there. Fred writes his own monologue tonight, and I think that's very apparent. I would have happily watched this show. If they did not change a single thing from what they had written for Muhammad Ali, <laughs> just, <laughs> they just even if Fred came in and said, "Hey everybody, it's me, Muhammad Ali," 
<laughs> I would have watched Fred Muhammad Ali's episode for a full it's, hour. It's almost like years later, Nick Nolte was supposed to host, but he couldn't. So they just got Eddie Murphy to host, even though he was a cast member. Uh, Edie Baskin Photography just has Eddie Murphy's face pasted over Nick Nolte's body. <laughs> <laughs> so you folks ready to jump on in and, and get talking about this one? Yes, yes. Excellent. Off so we go to the cold open and we see Bill Murray as his uh, character Honker, kind of a homeless guy with uh, delusions of grandeur. We've seen a version, a couple of versions of Honker before, but this is the full-fledged Honker. So he enters in the audience and sits in a vacant seat, which is next to costume designer Karen Rostin. Um, and he has actually a bottle of booze in the pocket of his trench coat. He goes talking about the uh, Yankees and the Dodgers who are competing in the World Series. And he talks about the uh, Yankees being bought, whereas the Dodgers were built. He then realizes he's not at a Yankees game and wonders where he's at, realizes it, and gives the live from New York. I thought this was a funny little bit, and it's a quick way to address uh, a huge current event that's going on in New York. You know, I don't know if they could really do a whole bunch of sketches about the World Series, but it does have to be talked about. So as they are known to do they sort of sandwich it into this quick easy cold open i'm not a huge fan of the honker character it is one that sort of pops up a lot and becomes kind of a regular shtick for him but uh, all things considered this wasn't too bad yeah i like the character i have written down bill plays annoying yankees fan aka just a regular yankees fan (laughs) very realistic i think i know about 50 or 60 people exactly like this I really enjoyed it. I didn't. Uh, I'm not familiar with this character. I didn't know it was a character, uh, or that it's going to be. But you, you know, like you guys said, it really kind of comes across as somewhat of an average sports fan, uh, intense. You know, a certain kind of sports fan. I'm a sports fan uh, to yeah. a degree. I thought it was a pretty strong cold open. I, I liked him doing it. Mm-hmm from the uh, audience and I got a good laugh when he kind of looked forward blankly and he said, this isn't a Yankee game. (laughs) And when, when people do their sort of stereotypical Bill Murray impression, like Dave Coulier, it is this character. It's not so much Bill Murray as it is this. We now go to the intro. Uh, Matt and I have seen it. Chili, this is your first time seeing the season four Uber New York intro. With It looks like painted versions of the photographs. What did you think of the intros? Uh, it looked nice. I mean, it seemed familiar, to be honest. It's not something that really struck me as being new, but mm-hmm. it, I don't know, it kind of seems familiar. Maybe like it's evolving more to the intros I remember from when I was a kid. Yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure. We're now off to the monologue. And uh, I noticed right away that home base is is more bigger and more cavernous than it was on the last episode. It's not a huge staircase, but there is a staircase there. And a lot of the clutter that I liked from uh, episode one is not there. Fred Willard is dressed as Elvis and the band plays a variation of CC Rider as Willard takes the mic. He starts singing One Night With You. Audience adores it. Willard reveals that it is him, not actually Elvis. And he was inspired by a Las Vegas act that he saw that was a Elvis tribute act. And he expects this man to uh, to do quite well. He, he seems to be unaware of Elvis's existence. He asks the audience in a very Fred Willard way, where else can you be on a show that is broadcast from New York to L.A.? Try that in one of those communist countries. He admits to being as stupid as the character of Jerry Hubbard, does a bit about arrivals and departures at the airport, and then does a bit talking about the the sort of the old school Italian crotch insult, like, uh, where's my water? I got your water right here, as he grabs onto his crotch. He tells some jokes that priests would like, 
and refers to a priest doing the um, the the crotch joke. This is a really good Fred Willard role. Like I said, you have to listen. This is certainly not the best I've ever heard him, but it was a fun monologue and um, it's certainly quintessential Fred Willard here. Yeah, when he first came out and did the Elvis impersonation, I'll be honest with you, I was like, oh no, like it's been done, especially around that time, you know, a show that's so closely associated with Andy Kaufman. I was like, ah, is this just a, this is a bad move. And then once it was over, he went right into Fred Willard mode. Uh, <laughs> I just love the concept of he doesn't know who Elvis is, but he's he's doing an impersonation of an Elvis impersonator. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Like it is, it's not the funniest I've seen his, I guess to say shtick, but it is pretty quintessential Fred Willard. I loved it. One of my favorite monologues in a while. You know, this will probably be something that we might discuss more at the end when we talk about him as a host. But I sometimes wonder how many people don't realize how much of a bit he's doing. You know, even like the jokes he was doing about, yeah, I got it right here. Like he he wasn't delivering that, I guess we'll say at his best. Like he delivers so much stuff as a bad performer. Yeah. I wonder how many people think he's just legitimately a bad performer and i love that style uh that really works for me uh, elvis impressions do not work so much for me i was in the same boat as you chili as i as in wanting to get off this boat uh, but i did note that he was super into it and when he dropped that his tribute was actually uh to a tribute guy dennis colt i i really got a good laugh and i said okay might have took too long to get there but uh, I really appreciated the payoff. And uh, then he was just Fred Willard. But I enjoyed it. I thought it, was, I thought it was a good monologue. I'm into the show so far, I think. So we now go to a commercial for two guys who are lawyers. Jane, Bill, and Lorraine play a family who are all in neck braces because since their auto accident, they've had to wear them and they've been struggling financially. And the worst part is the accident wasn't their fault. Lorraine thinks they should have hired a lawyer, but unfortunately they couldn't have afforded one. Dan and later Fred appear in front of a green screen, and they are two sleazy lawyers from the firm of two two guys who are lawyers, and this is a cut-rate firm in a mini-mall. Belushi plays a surgeon whose steady hand once replaced a kidney with a telephone. He went to the two guys to help him out. Garrett plays James Meredith, who used the two guys to get himself into Ole Miss, and to demonstrate that they stand by their clients... Um, we see Gilda as Patty Hearst, who is going to use the two guys the next time she gets kidnapped. This was funny. It was chunky and choppy in spots, but I kept sort of thinking this is where we are now with these sort of lawyer commercials. I don't know why they brought James Meredith and even Patty Hearst into it. Whatever. It was quick. It was kind of silly. I liked it. You know, a simple commercial, nothing groundbreaking. I did get a good chuckle at when they showed all their associates and they were also dressed exactly like... Yes. Uh, Dan and Fred. Yeah, I mean, there's not really too much more to add to it. Uh, I don't know where Dan found this guy or this voice or what sort of special touch he has. It's like somebody from the Hills Have Eyes succeeded. That's kind of the, the vibe he's got. A really great line. You know, your father doesn't have a high school diploma. <laughs> you really got to laugh out of that. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I was going to love a sleazy lawyer commercial regardless. Uh, the fact that they kept calling them two guys. I went to the two guys. You know, we've already addressed the big V-neck shirts on everyone. Uh, I, I thought this was a 
tremendous commercial parody i loved it i laughed the whole way dan really had me he was it's like a stephen king character there was mm. something just off about him vocally i i sort of thought it was dan doing his impression of paul schaefer's impression of don kirshner if you remember oh yeah i can see i can hear that yeah, yeah we are now off to stuntman so bill gilda dan and garrett are actors shooting a mob movie where they're on a fire escape of a building bill gets shot and the uh production cuts in order to bring out the stuntman. So Fred and Lorraine play the director and the continuity supervisor and in, and they call in Cliff Preston, who is on site to do the stunts. Belushi comes out wearing a boxing robe and a cigar. He is a big star in the uh, film industry for his stunt work. Everyone is sort of sucking up to him because he's such a big star. Uh, They mention they love the scene where the silo fell on him in Hooper. John then calls for his mattress, and uh, he goes up onto the balcony set, which is only about a foot and a half, two feet off the ground. They do the stunt where he gets shot and, uh, taking Bill's place, falls over onto the mattress. All looks good until Belushi jumps up, freaking out because he's got some dust in his eyes. Uh, Fred Willer's character asks him to do it one more time before they take him to the hospital, so they do a second take. This time, John jumps up with a dislocated shoulder, which is an old high school wrestling injury, but he insists on doing the scene one more time to great applause from the crew. Now, despite only being a foot or two off the ground, in this third take, Belushi misses his mat and dies. Fred Wheeler's character asks for a moment of silence, but because they only have two hours of sunlight left, they say they're going to change the corpse's costume for another scene where someone is thrown off the top of the building. I thought this could have been really, really good. I love the set. I love the fact that all the crew guys were there, including uh, Matt's favorite, Willie Day, who was the big surprise that uh, Desi brought out when he was everyone when he was teasing Lucy. But uh, all things considered, this wasn't really funny i didn't laugh much at this i don't know why it didn't hit it for me yeah this is the first misfire of the night i think for me this wasn't much to it it was a belushi heavy sketch i'm beating a dead horse a little bit here i'm not the biggest belushi guy i didn't get what the character was really supposed to be i'm tired of sketches starting with belushi walking in with shades doing something like cool i guess and then going into a character I don't know. I just don't get it. It felt like it was kind of a bad use of, like you said, a good set and other people who were ready to give good performances. Yeah, yeah. All together now, I, I thought this was way too long. Uh, I, like this could have been a good character for Fred if, you know, maybe another pass of the pencil. You cut it in half and write some jokes for it. Uh, I didn't hate Belushi uh, nearly as much as Chili, who uh, seemed to take personal affront. <laughs> We're for three. Devo, new wave band, um, uh, I guess pioneers. Um, they kind of combine science fiction, comedy, tech, synth pop. Uh, it's, it's it's a very unique band anyway. Uh, they've got their, their uniforms and I forget what they call them, dome, brain domes or something. So what we get here is a cover of last week hosts Rolling Stones Satisfaction. Thought this was a great version of the song. This will later get a video on MTV. And it charted in the UK, but not the United States. This might be their first like national TV appearance. I loved it. I, I love what they did with the song. If you're going to cover it, make it as different as you can, I guess, and uh, and do it well. And they really did. I really enjoyed this performance. 
And it's performance art. It's not just music. Yeah, I liked this one. I honestly don't know if I've seen, you know, Devo live before. And it's a neat performance. And uh, is it something that's going to stick with me for a long time? Probably not. But there's nothing bad about it. I love Devo. You know, when I was a kid, I... I, I just like any other kid uh, growing up around my age, I watched tons of music videos and the, the whip it music video was my first exposure ever. You know, I think it would take me a long time to realize that uh, as I was growing up, that Mark Mothersbaugh was the, the guy in Devo. And then I just thought they were a one hit wonder for a bit. And then I didn't know about this old stuff. And then, holy shit, I saw them do uh, mm. Hey, Hey, My, My. Uh, with Neil Young, uh, that Neil Young song. And it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Look that up uh, on the YouTube. I knew the song. I knew what it was going to sound like. And one thing I noticed is that uh, it just it visually, it just looked different than anything that Saturday Night Live has ever done with the bands. It, it, was, it was a new look, a new aesthetic. They shot it differently. I, I'm no tech guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whatever the fuck I'm looking for to say. <laughs> Mission, um, I think, is the second part of that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it looks different and cool and yeah this is super weird new Mm -hmm. music to be hitting your tv in 1978 so good for them you know they they got the uniforms and the craft work thing and their robots and uh, we just saw the rolling stones recently so i thought satisfaction was a fun choice and again i always say this is you know your big late night tv show it's on you know saturday night the kids are on mushrooms you want to show them something weird flicking around i see this i stop weird tv in 1978 it's weird tv today great jump at the end in unison loved it and mark mothersbaugh later goes on to uh he and lorraine newman date for a couple of years in the 80s oh that's pretty cool we're now off to weekend update and this one's brought to us by blue balls the cheese snack from france there's a bit in here about George Steinbrenner buying the Dodgers to ensure that the Yankees win. James Earl Ray and his new wife were, are not allowed to consummate their marriage. He was fine with this until he learned what the word consummate meant. Bill has an issue with uh, Ian Smith, the white prime minister of Rhodesia, now known as Zimbabwe, being allowed in the, the United States. He'd been back and forth on his uh, opinion of this communist Nazi racist being allowed in the country. So he asked Garrett how to feel. Garrett doesn't know, and therefore Bill doesn't know. Uh, Celebrity Corner. Bill Murray interviews Gilda and Alan Zweibel as Lucille Ball and her husband, Gary Morton. Bill asks how Fred is doing, um, but uh, he's been dead since 1966. Bill blames uh, not knowing that on the newspaper strike. Bill asks Lucy to marry Desi again, but she says no. And Lucy refers to her children as being extremely untalented. We then have a a story about a, uh, I think he was a Russian diplomat named Shevchenko giving expensive gifts to a Washington escort, which has prompted over 700 Soviet hookers to move to the U.S. and will be debriefed at the Mustang Ranch in Reno. They say Sid Vicious won't get a fair trial because of his name, so he's now going to be known as Sid, not such a bad guy once you know him. And then Jane brings in Dan Aykroyd, who has been promoted to station manager for a new segment called Strictly Speaking. And this is all about football uh, cheerleaders who Dan refers to as being nudely, lewdly, and crudely attired. His three issues are with vinyl boots, clothes that define the perimeters of the vagina, and the ripple and bounce of the upper mammalian carriage. Uh, I thought this was excellent, and this is the Dan I was craving to see last year. 
top to bottom, this was a pretty excellent update. A really big hit for me. Chili, it's your first non-Ackroyd weekend update in quite some time. How do you feel about Bill being there? How do you feel about Ackroyd not being there? What did you think of Ackroyd's contribution this time around? And yeah, how did you feel about update in general? This may be an unpopular opinion. I don't know the general consensus, but I do not like Bill on update. He just doesn't take it serious. Like it's supposed to be kind of like, you know, straight man delivery, almost deadpan in a way. You know, I just find he's not a good fit for as good a performer as he is. I just don't, I've never liked him on update. Uh, on the other hand, I loved Dan's part and kind of made me wish Dan was the, you know, co-lead anchor <laughs> again. Weird to hear him talking about thigh gap in the 70s when first time I've heard that term was probably in the last 10 years. I don't know if it's just something I missed for the first 30 years of my life. They seemed particularly harsh to Lucille Ball during Celebrity Corner. Man, she was catching some live rounds. Do, don't you dare, sir, wish Dan Aykroyd back on this broadcast on a weekly basis as co-anchor. Oh, my goodness. We've only just escaped. It was obviously so much more comfortable. Aside from the fact that Jane can carry this anyway, I think uh, Bill's still doing a character. So mm-hmm. he, he really needs to drop that character but you can't be doing that guy uh it doesn't fit and it's weird and it turns out rambly and it's just not at all like anything you would ever see on the news so it does it takes you completely out of the segment out of the moment because it's just kind of annoying and reality shattering saying i go to my source uh, i say hey garrett that was a tremendous line terrible lucy segment uh did like dan and the uh the crowd was loving the titty references they really picked up for that didn't they yeah titties are over (laughs) even in the 70s (laughs) the me decade yeah (laughs) we're now off to 5 a.m so a phone rings and it wakes lorraine up it's 5 a.m and someone is calling looking for david who no longer lives there This turns out to be a female friend of David's who's trying to get David's number from Lorraine, who is David's ex. She then turns the lights on and Fred Willard is there asleep in the bed. Lorraine tells Fred that she and David lived together for two years and things went bad because of uh, they had conflicting careers. She worked and he didn't. Fred then says that the night was special, though he forgets Lorraine's name. Lorraine lights a super long, like 200 cigarette, which I thought was I got a kick out of. The phone rings again, and it's David. At first, he's pissed off at Lorraine because he gave this girl his new number, but the conversation gets lighter and and, and more friendly. Fred keeps offering to leave and, and let Lorraine talk to David. Lorraine says she's only been going out with creeps, and she invites David over. Fred then decides he has to leave because this David is coming back. On the way out, Fred reveals that he was just a pizza delivery guy who forgot to charge Lorraine for the pizza. So he decides to make it uh, complimentary and tells her that his number is on the box. I thought this was a very funny and very understated piece. Both Fred and Lorraine were hilarious. It's a bit of an early look at this sort of cringe, awkward humor that that is going to be all over the place in a few years' time. Yeah, this is one that's grown on me. Uh, like you said, understated might be the word for it, but it makes me enjoy it almost you know, a couple hours after watching it, more than I enjoyed watching it at the time. You know, some of the jokes stuck with me. You know, him being a pizza man at the end was a yeah. nice little twist. Well performed. The line about if I've been dating creeps made me laugh. 
<laughs> I thought this was pretty good. This sketch was a real roller coaster for me. You know what? I, I'm adding it. I, I'm official. And you know what, Keith? I almost want to start keeping track of these. Uh, I'm adding it to the list of sketches that I wasn't really finding ha-ha funny, but I was actually really involved in. Yeah. Um, like when Chevy and Gilda were in bed as well. The, the, like this really adult humor kind of sketch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just on that thought, it did remind me a little bit of the one I did with you guys where Christopher Lee was the host. Oh, and Mr. he yeah. was doing the thing where he was death talking to the girl whose dog died or something. And I just remember thinking, like, it wasn't funny, but it was good. Yeah. And, you know, I always I expect it to be a comedy show. Of course, it is a comedy show. It does. Does it not advertise itself as such? I guess uh, maybe they're maybe they go for a variety show. I don't know. I don't know. And I, you know what? I don't care. But sometimes I think I have to temper my expectations because I always am expecting, like, make me laugh, make me laugh, clowns. And that's just kind of a sour attitude uh, for me to have going into it. Thus far, I've been really impressed with these sketches that so often get forgotten that are really well-written sketches but aren't about the hugely loud laughter at the end. Yes. Like like all the Suzanne Miller, Miller, Marilyn Miller ones, like Lunch Counter and Mr. Death and uh, these ones that are just... Smart little bits. Agreed completely. And so the way this one was going with me is that I thought it was like, oh, this this sketch is like very weirdly adult real life in the late 70s. And I was a little torn because it wasn't quite getting over the uh, getting over the line with me. But then once she got on that call, man, and she started just telling him to stay and stay. And while she was still flirting on the phone, there was, (laughs) you know, I hate Playboy humor. The thousands know I hate Playboy humor, but this was like good Playboy humor, uh, elevated by the performances and elevated by the fact that he's the pizza man. And (laughs) it just did such a 180 for me. I I was tepid and then I was interested and then I loved it. We're now off to On the Spot. We have Jane Curtin there as Joan Face hosting an investigative interview with Erwin Mainway, who is responsible for supplying food to school cafeterias in the tri-state area. The food is all quite devoid of nutrition, mac and cheese with stale bread that he calls croutons, coffee and cigarettes. He defends it as being bottomless coffee. She mentions they only feed sugar and starch in their meals, and he said they're not against kids bringing their own protein. One school was fed pureed insects and Mainway defends it that it was a hot lunch she asks about ravioli that was stuffed with chalk he says it was an experiment that didn't work Uh, one school was even given dog milk he then tries to say that anything can be dangerous in the Irwin Mainway way he says a caraway seed that's bitten at the wrong angle can shoot up and hit someone in the eye he then takes a bite of an apple and chokes on it as the segment is ending, he screams, how many times do you see people break their back on a banana? Um, this was okay. It's not up to the usual Irwin Mainway standards. It's it's obvious why this one is sort of a footnote compared to the uh, the uh, the two toy ones. This is enjoyable, like you said. I think if we have, uh, you know, I think if we don't watch so many of these episodes so closely, we may enjoy this a little bit more. But it does feel like a well-done version of a sketch that we see pretty frequent just not rare enough to really garner that much extra attention for me 
I love her name, Joan Face. That's great. Uh, and uh, I was excited to see uh, Main Wave. So I, I got a good uh, pop out of it. But yeah, it certainly wasn't my favorite. I, I enjoyed the, you know, the gags for a bit. The, the soup is grape jelly and hot water. <laughs> it's disgusting. Uh, white bread and diluted chocolate syrup. I, I was really enjoying the little examples. But my favorite was dessert is just sugar. Just sugar, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh shit the kids love it you see them bounding out of the cafeteria the, the breakdown three bucks a kid he's spending 18 cents a kid that that's good money i really found the writing actually pretty sharp i didn't find it as ha-ha funny uh-huh. but uh i i really found that the the gags were really there ravioli stuffed with chalk hot lunch of pureed insects but it was a hot lunch though it was yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so i really thought i don't know what it was about it that wasn't it you know maybe it was just the the familiarity of it or maybe dan was slightly more subdued but i don't think it was the writing i thought this was pretty clever i don't know what it was it just it didn't work as well for me um i did laugh audibly at ravioli stuffed with chalk which was weird because it's not <laughs> even the funniest even looking at it now you know that's not the funniest bit but that's the one that got me in the bottomless cough now we go to mr bill goes to new york mr bill is back he's got a little flag mr hands gives him a new york english dictionary So Mr. Bill goes to a subway and he sees Mr. Sluggo in there. He gets his hand squashed in the door. Spot joins them, but New York has a leash, gutter, and clean up after your dog. Uh, They do it and poor Spot gets run over and is then picked up by a pooper scooper. They then go to Macy's where Mr. Bill loses his feet at the top of the escalators and he falls from the Empire State Building to the top of a cab where he is driven off. Again, not huge on the Mr. Bills. I I don't mind. I didn't mind this one so much as I I have some of the other ones, but uh, it's a very repetitive segment for me. I know, Matt, you're on the complete opposite end of the scale, usually chilly. I don't remember where you sit on Mr. Bill. I am not a Mr. Bill fan. This did not change my mind. I don't like the voice. Uh, I find they're always just, it's so dark. This one was a bit better because it was some degree of, I guess, natural sunlight there. But yeah, no, Mr. Bill's sketches, I, I've never been able to get into them. It's like a meme. Mr. Bill reminds me of the pain of being alive. <laughs> and that, like, his, his struggles... <laughs> throughout just he's trying so hard he's so optimistic he's like yay mr han mr bill let's go he's got my i've got my new york to english dictionary yeah and you know of course he knows he knows what's coming mr slogo's gonna be mean to me he says it every time he knows the trouble is around the corner and he knows it's gonna hurt but every time mr hand gives him a new opportunity Mr. Bill smiles the fuck through it. Stay strong, brother. And not realizing that the whole way through Mr. Hand is his true enemy. Exactly. (laughs) We're now off to Bobby Farber in the kitchen. We don't have Larry Farber anymore. Bobby sings I Write the Songs as she prepares some chicken for supper. Her phone rings. It's her mother. She talks about sneaking Diet Fleischmann's into the sandwiches for the last little while and says that Larry only understands color, not flavor. Bobby is also tempted to change her kids' names because they're called Adam and Jennifer, which uh, everyone else's kids seem to be called. She says they're young enough to get used to new names. She mentions her therapist, but Bobby swears that neither of her parents ever comes up. From now on, Adam, her son, will be known as Sylvester. 
And then she has a fun bit trying to get her mother off the phone. There wasn't much here. There's a, a bit of character work from Gilda, but I didn't get much in the way of laughs. I was really disappointed by this because I do love the Farbers. And while it wasn't terribly performed or even terribly written, it just wasn't for me. I don't know why I didn't like this. Yeah, this would probably remind me a bit of, like, if you go to see the Rolling Stones and, you know, at some point they'll have Keith Richards just do like a solo for 15 minutes while the rest of the guys go out back to get changed, get rehydrated or something. It's good. It's enjoyable watching at the time, but it's not the thing you'll remember when you leave the concert. There's not enough laughs. There wasn't enough jokes in it. Gilda's really good at this one-sided conversation. I thought her performance was amazing and there was a really good line about uh good to be around impulsive people they've always got cigarettes gum everything you need <laughs> i thought that was really funny uh and the the diet fleischmann's thing so there, there was some good little bits in it but too long and not really any jokes it was just relying on her performance which was great i needed a little more we are now off to crossroads it's the end of the broadcast day fred willard plays a minister who says he's depressed as hell he talks about the days before Abraham when pe people believed there were different gods for different occasions. For example, Ra, the sun god, Aretha, the goddess of soul, and Herpes, the messenger of the skin god. And he takes us and tells the story of Moab, who was looking for something more. Belushi plays Moab, and he's talking to his wife, who is on her way to church. He says he's not going to go to church, but he's going to stay home to clean the ram. He isn't sure which of the many gods is the most powerful. He once prayed to an ant that got eaten by a beetle. So he prayed to the beetle that got eaten by a sparrow. And the sparrow was now eaten by their son, Shlomo, played by Bill. Bill and Gilda go off to church. Um, Moab thinks there must be a god out there who is more powerful and loves him. Don Pardo then uh, comes, uh, his voice comes over as the voice of God and agrees to test Moab's loyalty and faith. Uh, and he asks Moab to sacrifice his own son. We then cut back to Fred, who says, like Moab, he needed something to believe in because his wife Darlene started cheating on him. Moab then has uh, Shlomo tied to a post. Uh, Shlomo thanks Moab for taking him fishing. And he's, he's basically going to stab Shlomo, but he keeps waiting for God to stop him. Moab then goes and kills Shlomo when he finds out that he didn't get a Father's Day gift. After Shlomo is stabbed, God says, wait. And then we cut back to Fred, who says he'll be leaving in about 10 minutes, but hopes his wife Darlene is there alone. Um, so this is kind of like two somewhat interconnected sketches. I think either one would have been better by itself. The two pieces didn't mesh for me. They didn't jive well. The connections that were made were, were, were kind of crummy. I didn't find the Moab stuff overly funny, and uh, the Fred Willard stuff was okay, but uh, I might have rathered hearing a whole thing done at one time, like one big long monologue. Really actually disappointed by this and, and, and frankly didn't like it and maybe only laughed once. You just uh, described it exactly how I probably would have felt disjointed. And the Moab stuff wasn't much joke there. I did laugh when they kind of did the cut and he was tied up. Uh, and the Fred stuff, I felt like it was kind of half-baked. Not the best use of their guest host there, I don't think. Yeah, this is terrible. Terrible. I, I, uh, I didn't like it at all. Struggling to pay attention to this. My attention span was just 
shot by the end of it. I, th- I thought it would be cooler if it was darker, or edgier, or weirder, or something. I don't know. It's just it seems to be something incomplete. They chucked out there to die at the end of the show. Just a, a hodgepodge of ideas, kind of thrown together without any. Mm-hmm rhyme or reason uh, i thought it was a drag they're not very good at religious humor at this point in time when you consider that like life of brian is a year away <laughs> you know they and and they certainly don't have the freedom that life of brian would have had but a lot of their religious stuff is just not funny i find for a show that especially at the time is quite edgy they go very soft with a lot of the biblical stuff i've seen we're now off to Scotch Tape Boutique, which is uh, one of Don Novello's. It's in it's part of a, a bigger series, like a mall series. So we have Gilda, Fred, and John running the Scotch Tape Boutique in the mall. Somebody calls on the phone looking for Puppy Land, but Gilda says they've moved to a newer mall. Dan Aykroyd comes in as a neighboring merchant who has run out of fuses and needs a new one. Fred is happy to give him a fuse and won't take any money for it. Dan says his business is great, but looks around and realizes that the folks at the Scotch Tape Boutique are not doing so well. He encourages them and says business will pick up. Fred says business is slow, but uh, if the people are able to rethink, they'll be able to come to the Scotch Tape Boutique. And he's even installed a photocopier where people can come in for copies, but they'll wind up buying tape. Feeling bad, Dan offers to buy a roll of tape, which he does. Um, and promises that when that role runs out, he'll come back. Belushi as Kevin, the stock boy, I guess, is instructed to get another one of the 59 centers. Jane comes in as a customer, and she's looking for a copy of a flyer, but she only needs one copy. Says she was in a, uh, a week ago, and Fred is impressed that they've got themselves a return customer and asks her how the tape worked out for her. She said it was sticky. Gilda then gets mad at Kevin for opening a new box of tape because they can't send it back. Fred takes that as a sign that she doesn't believe in him and he gets a little upset with her. Garrett and Bill then come in looking for recording tape and Fred uh, tells him, no, we just sell the sticky kind. Fred then goes back to chastising Gilda for not believing in him, not believing in his dream of owning a store that sells only scotch tape. Lorraine then comes in asking for some recording tape. Fred talks about his uncle who ran a restaurant that made really famous chicken salad until one day they put turkey in instead. He said everyone was skeptical, but nobody noticed. Gilda and Kevin then realize that they believe in Fred and they get back to business, which is basically nothing. I loved this sketch. The audience was not into it. There is something so funny about this that even though, I, you know, there's not many laughs in this, I friggin' adored this concept, this idea, the way it was executed. I don't know, kind of Beckett-ish in a way. Um, huge kudos to the production for having the, uh, the, the plaid on the walls and Fred having the matching plaid and the gingham. And my goodness, there were a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, rolls of tape hanging on the wall. Probably not my favorite of the night, but my God, I loved this sketch. Yeah, there was a lot to like about this one. <laughs> Fred was very endearing in particular. Um, just his, you know, <laughs> positivity in such a you know, completely clueless manner. You know, kind of eventually would become a Fred Willard staple in a way. I guess that's something he does excel at. Kind of like we were talking about before with the other sketch, this was kind of more one I can look back on probably a little bit more as like I actually like empathized with it as opposed to just getting laughs. It was 
very well done, even though it wasn't the funniest thing you'll ever see. I love when they get uh, silly and absurd with the, these last sketches of the evening. Uh, I, I liked it as much as you guys. I, I really liked the line. Uh, isn't that something you were in here before? And now you're back again. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly threatening. <laughs> and the, just the confidence in the in the scotch tape door everybody's really into recording tape i guess by recording tape they could just mean uh they could mean like blank cassettes yeah reel to reel i i think reel to reel or blank cassettes i don't know where that's at in the world but i think it's reel to reel you're talking about yeah yeah the fact that they kept asking for quote-unquote recording tape is something i think that was uh that slipped on me historically a little bit but it made me curious anyway yeah really funny really silly and uh, when they got back to business and all got quiet at the end in the empty store it was great i thought it was a winner yeah there were little bits in this that you know they left the scene dangle for a minute at the end the fact it was just scotch tape there wasn't even masking tape there there was just so much that i really enjoyed a little note on this one, they tried to cut this after the dress rehearsal because nobody laughed at the dress, and Fred Willard insisted that this one stayed. Good for him. Him with the pipe. Like, when he wanted to extend a point, he'd have to light his pipe. and <laughs> <laughs> It's just the ridiculousness of the whole thing, and yet uh, I don't think I laughed. Well, I think I laughed when he gave her the look when he's like, hey, look, we have a returning customer type thing, right? Even just stuff like McGarrett and Dan maybe came in. How they're just in there as a joke is in like, hey, check this out. These guys only sell tape. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bill and Garrett. Yeah. Oh, and the lady came in for a copy. And oh, yeah, how many? Just one. Just one. Yeah. (laughs) It's almost like Babu's restaurant that Jerry tries. Remember, no one's ever in it. (laughs) Yeah. We now go to uh, Devo again for a Jocko Homo. It starts with a, a, a video, like a pre-taped video, uh, that sounds like it might have been voiced by Dan and Lorraine. I'm not sure. But it leads into the Devo song Jocko Homo, released in 1977 on the album Are We Not Men? We Are Devo. This charted in the UK as well at 68. They begin the performance in their yellow suits and then change on stage uh, into black shirts and black shorts with orange elbow pads and knee pads. I really love this performance. Uh, I, I think I might have preferred what they did with the previous song, but thought this was great as well. I thought the going from the pre-tape into the live performance was a cool concept. I did kind of feel like it may have like robbed us from one quote-unquote real sketch. I did not like the song very much, but I did enjoy what they were doing while they were doing it. I would give the first song the thumbs up more so than this one that they did but you know i could definitely see why it would be up some people's tree yeah some my tree boogie boy i love boogie boy i, I appreciated devo getting weird screen time this is really saturday night live kind of uh unveiling them to the world right now they're not this big hit band right now but this is what i want out of my hot late night tv show i've been asking for it forever and they're finally giving it to me so mm-hmm. damn it i'm gonna uh, appreciate it uh, the, the this weird chaos this perfect late night television i love them stripping out like you know the de-evolution of uh of the band mm-hmm. here uh, right in front of us the whole thing was punk as fuck is one of the best musical performances of the season that i've seen so far i loved it i think this song is better than the satisfaction the satisfaction one it's almost like it's so monotonous and kraut rocky and uh and, and it's fun and it's a fun little spoof but i don't know this, this this one i thought has uh has energy and it has a punch at the end and yeah this this worked for me on all fronts 
So we're off to the good nights. Fred says good night and thank you. Devo are there in character. Dan leaves immediately, and uh, everyone else is just kind of hanging around. Uh, they're really enjoying, I noticed the cast, seeing Devo there in character still doing their thing as the show closes. So let's rate. Rating the host. Fred Willard was good. I expected excellent, but he was, you know... He was good, very good. I don't know what it is. A lot of the stuff we see of Fred Willard in movies, especially the guest movies, he basically talks until they cut him. And he can't do that with the tight times and such that he has. His monologue was good, and he was good in everything he was in, but in a lot of cases, the material might not have been there for him. I thought he was really integrated with the cast, and maybe the fault of this is on me because I expected more Fred Willardness, I think, and I didn't get as much as I wanted. I don't know if this was necessarily the the format where he could shine the way I've seen him in other things. Um, still a very good host, and I, and I wish he had come back to host again, which he does not. I don't know. I think this one's on me, not on Fred. I think I wanted excellent and got somewhere between good and very good he was very good uh i agree it's probably not the best out of them i don't think my expectations are maybe as high as yours because i wasn't sure how like he's excellent in movies and tv shows i've seen but i haven't seen him really do a whole lot live i will say this much of all the hosts i've seen he's probably the one who seemed the most like he could have just been a cast member that is a compliment i think i agree with you guys it could be a restriction of the format for for what he's used to maybe uh so i guess there could be variables at play there he could have been game for anything and they just didn't have a lot of shit for him uh it's one of the more interesting things never uh quite knowing what we'll see out the the back door there it was fine he 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 was capable at what he did but sometimes the sketches just suck music thought the music was great i knew devo from whip it and then some other things i've heard later but i never took much of a deeper dive into a few things uh that i come across every now and then All I'm going to say is that if it's 1978 and I'm not into disco or funk and I'm tired of hearing the easy listening stuff, I'm sure I am 100 percent sure that after this performance, Devo is where I would have gone. I really enjoyed this. It was great. I didn't enjoy it as much as you guys, but I do definitely see Devo being a band that I could get into more. Uh, You know, last couple of years, I've gotten into the talking heads and years ago, I would not have thought twice about it. So Maybe I just need to come across the right Devo song and I'll be hooked. But for the time being, I think this is better than average for an SNL musical guest, but not my favorite. I thought it was great. It's a good chance to take on a, on a hot, young, new, weird band. And I mean, this band, don't get me wrong, you know, they've got a lot of uh, star power that are publicly kind of into them, like Neil Young and Iggy Pop and David Bowie. And, you know, when these guys are all like, oh, we're really into Devo, of course, people are going to be like, okay, let's get them on their big network TV show. Uh, So it it helps to have support in the right places, and they sure did. But uh, they sure took advantage of it. Thought it was inventive and fun and just a a great thing to see on late night TV. So what was the worst sketch of the night, fellas? Several of the bits... I think one thing I'd say is a bit of a theme for tonight is that a lot of the sketches, even if well-performed, didn't really have a great ending. So there were a few contenders for this one. I would probably have to say the Fred as Priest slash Moab sketch might be my least favorite, mainly because it took up a good amount of time. And it's something that, like you mentioned, if each part of the sketch was done separate, they may have been two good sketches. 
So yeah, it had the most potential and fell the hardest. That's another vote. Same for me. I thought this was a disjointed mess that uh, it just was an unedited hodgepodge of bullshit. I didn't (laughs) laugh. It was an endurance of my patience and attention. The sketch is called Crossroads, and it was also my pick for worst. Um, I will say I changed my mind as we were talking about the sketches. It had been the Bobby Farber one out of disappointment, but in this case, uh, just not liking beats disappointment. Another sweep on the bad side of the tracks for Crossroads here. We had that last week for Danger Probe as well. Maybe we're meeting each other in the middle a bit more this year. What was your uh, choice for best sketch? There were you know, just as many really good sketches as pretty bad ones. While I enjoyed the monologue, I'm not, I think I probably preferred it more than the average person would. I'm probably going to give my favorite one to the tape store. It wasn't overly funny, but it was just a well done sketch and the type of oddness that, you know, is right up my alley. I'd rather this over something that's more slapstick. So, yeah, this one, it's grown on me. Oh, it was, it's, it's tough. Because there, there was a couple of good ones. And like I said, I really liked the writing tonight. I liked it in the main way sketch, even though I didn't get a lot of laughs. I liked it in the uh, in the bed sketch, even though I didn't get a lot of big laughs out of it. He was the pizza man at the end, which I thought was a really good gag. I didn't see that coming. And that sketch really turned me around in that second half. But it's not something I'll really remember. Two guys that are lawyers. Matt, it's funny. We must have some sort of osmosis here because I was stuck in the conundrum where there's a sketch that I actually enjoyed the most versus the sketch that I'm going to remember the most. And uh, those two are 5 a.m. and Scotch Tape. I don't think I will forget Scotch Tape anytime soon, but I do think 5 a.m. is just going to sort of sit in the brain as, oh, yeah, that was a good sketch. But it is, to me, the better of the two sketches. Um as much as I enjoyed the Scotch tape, I'm glad Chili picked it. We'll, we'll revisit it again sometime. But uh, I went with the 5 a.m., uh, which is the, uh, the the two in the bed. I thought uh, they were just two strong performances there. So, yeah, it was, it was tough, but uh, 5 a.m. is my pick as well. Uh, I, I've just been thinking about it again, and I'm not going to change my answer. And every once in a while, I see something where, where I... Some, I get that feeling, or I say to myself, "Wow, that's so 70s." Mm-hmm. This was this seemed like straight out of the late 1970s, and I don't yep. know if it's just because I'm the age that I am, and this would have seemed like hyper adult television to me at the time. Uh, you know, she just banged this dude, and now she's mm-hmm. on the phone getting this other dude on the way over. Like, yeah, the me decade. You're fucking yep. right. She bagged the pizza man. Now let's get the boyfriend over, and he's kind of like, "Well, maybe we'll do this again sometime." He's being Fred Willard. He's playing yep. Fred Willard as a pizza man who just had sex with this Lorraine Newman vamp. And uh, no, I don't want to change my vote, do I? It's up to you, buddy. I'm changing it. He's changing it. All right. So it's changed. I'm sitting here. I'm thinking about it. And you know what? There was Dan playing this person of different abilities as a, a lawyer in this sketch was really funny and it got a good laugh out of me but uh you know what that bed sketch Mm -hmm. that's a keeper that's a mental keeper fellas who was your star of the night i am still giving my star even though it wasn't the best use of them and maybe this is a bit of uh favoritism on my part but you know who cares how often do i get a chance to have fred willard host snl Mm -hmm. i'm giving star of the night to fred i really enjoyed the monologue 
while I don't think he was used to his best the whole night, the two big ones that struck home and were home runs for me were the 5 a.m. one and the tape store sketch. And he was a key feature in both of them. So Fred gets my vote. Well done. Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Need I go on about how brilliant i thought he was as one of the two guys uh i also thought he had a renewed presence and value on weekend update after sitting around watching him miserable and being miserable watching him for an entire season uh that was just such a breath of fresh air and uh i still think he does a good main way and uh i don't know if he has a hand in writing those sketches i know he writes on the show but fuck whoever wrote that sketch was on it i i'm also at dan uh same reasons uh we had a great that strictly speaking at the end of update was good his uh we got to see a pretty good main way uh two guys who are lawyers was good but yeah and his his sympathetic next door neighbor merchant in scotch tape worked for me as well so yeah there was a lot of good there from dan um lorraine had a, a good night tonight but just more limited in quantity than dan Overall, I don't know if they're taking a chance on these understated sketches or just the novelty of the show is dropping, but the audiences appear to be laughing less, though the quality hasn't gone down. But as this is a live show with a live audience, that certainly hurts it. And that bothers me because I I like to think it's the audience, the modern audience that's gotten pavlovian and gives reactions to things they know and are bored and ambivalent to things that they don't know some of the sketches tonight were actually hurt by the lack of the audience's responses i thought weekend update was 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 really good and and having watched through this episode the season fairly recently i have some thoughts i'm going to hold back on weekend update right now but i will say that update is better this year and we're starting to see it already and it's already becoming the staple piece of the show that it, it goes on to be so sketch-wise, we get a weaker Mainway and a weaker Bobby Farber, two characters I really like. We get a few undercooked sketches, a few sketches that were underappreciated, and and I thought the energy of the show was brought down because of all of this. We don't have the madcapness that we had in the first couple of seasons. It seems like the cast has aged about 10 or 15 years based on their performance tonight. Devo, strange but great. Scoring this is a bit tough because I thought Willard did a pretty good job. So I'm just going to go a little under average on this one and go with a 5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm a bit torn on this one too. There's some things I really liked. Like I said, monologue, tape sketch, the 5 a.m. one. But there's also there was some not so great things that took up a lot of time. Stuntman sketch, the religious sketch. And I, I wasn't as big a fan of Update as you were. While they were fine, I'm also not digging Devo as much as you guys were either. So the really good things were not enough to pull up the rest. So I'm giving this one a 6 out of 10. I was really excited for this episode going in, uh, finding Fred Willard super funny and knowing I like Devo. So I think overall I was a little let down by what was presented to me, but I had perhaps unreasonably high expectations. Uh, I really liked the cold open, but the monologue was pretty good. And throughout the night, I I think Fred did everything. uh, I'm sure he did everything he was asked to do. Uh, That's certainly the impression I got. It's cool. It was nice knowing that he insisted that the Scotch tape sketch be included. I thought that was funny, and it was a funny sketch. I love when they do the weird stuff late at night, but don't make a mess of it like you did with that 
Priest sketch. Uh, you're right about Weekend Update. That's that's really uh, it's finding its footing again. That the 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 debt of gratitude this sketch owns Jane Curtin at this point is beyond. She's been carrying this thing now for two seasons. More about that as we go. Some of the sketches were really good. The two guys. I've already talked about the sketches. The two guys. The bed sketch. Scotch tape sketch. There's some good sketches, sure. There's some clunkers. But they didn't... I never found they wasted my time. Sometimes this show pisses me off and wastes my time. Whether it's with one of these, like, random films that, that are slightly sentimental or way too offbeat, or just with too much music. That was really on formula tonight, which I really appreciated. So I, I'm going. my final score is going to be the highest of the evening. 6.5 out of 10. So with my five... Matt's 6.5, and Chili's 6. We wind up with a 5.8. The folks over at the Internet Movie Database gave this one a 7.2, which is well within our exchange rate. Nothing too strange there. For the year, this one was picked 11th out of 20, which uh, we'll see if that makes sense a little bit later. Yeah, but I think we're all in agreement that it was a bit of a disappointment, but uh, it was ourselves that maybe thought this was going to be better than it was, right? I don't know how big a star Fred Willard would have even been at the time, which, especially considering he was kind of a late replacement from the sounds of things for Muhammad Ali. Was it Muhammad Ali? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think maybe we expected a bit too much. Well, Chili, thank you very much for joining us for your first episode of Season 4. Uh, you're back again in a couple of weeks with us. No but, problem uh, at all. So, Matt, do you know who our musical guest and host are next week? Uh, they didn't mention it in the credits. It's Frank Zappa. <laughs> it's that one. That one. The, 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 the one when you asked me to do this, I was like, oh, cool. We'll get to talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that one. So, Matt and I will be back in about a week with uh, Frank Zappa as both host and musical guest. But until then, we'll be thanking Norman Lear as we try to find some recording tape here in SNL. <laughs> <laughs>